Good morning. It's good to see you, church. Revelation 11, we've already read there. Let me pray and ask God to help us as we get started. Heavenly Father, thank you for the opportunity to study your word. I pray as we look to the truth today that we'll be reminded of the certainty of your kingdom, the certainty of all that is fulfilled in the person of Christ. Lord, thank you for this book and all that it has taught us will continue to teach us in Jesus' name. Amen. John Patton was a successful and well-known and liked pastor in his home community. He sensed a certain call to the New Hebrides Islands to begin missionary work. Believe it or not, many people in his life completely withstood in opposition his decision, including some of his mentors, pastor friends, close associates. One of his professors said this, that you are leaving certainty for uncertainty. To which John Patton responded, I had positively no further concern having left it all absolutely to the Lord, whom I sought to serve in honor, whether in life or in death. Now, interestingly, the the big challenge was not only that he was leaving home and comfort, but the, the occupants or the inhabitants of the New Hebrides Islands were known to be cannibals. So there was a particular danger here. In fact, uh, one of his other close associates uh, said, you will be eaten by cannibals. Do not go. To which John Patton replied, whether I am eaten by cannibals or by worms, in the great day, my body will be resurrected and it will rise as fair as yours in the likeness of our risen Redeemer. That's a lot of confidence in the kingdom, isn't it? And I want to tell you that the sounding of the seventh trumpet in Revelation chapter 11 reminds us that we can be confident that the Lord's kingdom will, in fact, come. What we see in Revelation chapter 11 is the long-awaited answer to the prayers of thousands and millions of people throughout time as they've recited the Lord's prayer in which says, your kingdom come, your will be done. This prayer is given by the Lord to his disciples is a prayer to fulfill promises like Luke chapter number 1 and verse 33 where it says, And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Zechariah chapter 14 and verse 9, And the Lord shall be king over all the earth. In that day it shall be said, The Lord is one. Now, folks, when we come to Revelation chapter 11, we are slowly plowing through this middle portion of the book, and the seventh trumpet is going to sound, and the fact is that the seventh seventh trumpet, much like the seventh seal, unfolds everything that is yet to come in the book of Revelation, namely the seven vile or bold judgments that will consume the book, basically, in chapter 15 and 16. And so... When the Lord sounds the seventh trumpet, unlike all the other trumpets or or, or judgments which seem to inflict uh, judgment and punishment on the earth, that's not what happens with the seventh trumpet. You may have noticed, when the seventh trumpet sounds, it basically turns into a gigantic worship experience where everybody is praising God for the very fact that his kingdom has finally come. 
And what you're finding in Revelation 11 verses 15 and following is basically that the seventh trumpet initiates ultimately the six vile judgments. And at the end of those judgments, we're at the end of the tribulation. And at the end of the tribulation and the final rebellion, God is going to set up his kingdom here on this earth for a thousand years. And then ultimately, the kingdom of the future eternal state is brought into play. So this is great. This is great news. While there's still much judgment to be had in the book of Revelation, the bottom line is this. The kingdom is finally here. And I'm here to encourage you today. We can be sure and certain that one day God's kingdom will and finally forever rule and reign on this earth and then beyond this earth throughout all of eternity. And this is kind of the beginning of the culmination of the book. We said from the beginning of this series, this series is about Jesus wins. Ultimately, Jesus wins. Ultimately, Jesus rules. And the blowing of the seventh trump reminds us that it's coming sooner than we may think. Let me share with you three marks of the kingdom's arrival. You see this in verses 16 down through 19. Notice, if you will, uh, uh, verse. let me just start at verse 15 again. Then the seventh angel sounded, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. Now watch the response here in verse 16. And the 24 elders, remember, we've seen them before in chapter 4 and 5. And remember what I taught you in chapter 4 and 5. I believe that these 20 and 4 elders are representative of all of God's people for all time. Remember, there were 12 tribes in Israel and there were 12 apostles of our Lord. 12 plus 12 is 24. I know you're impressed with that. And that makes up, I believe, a representation of all of God's people for all time. Here they are again, brought back center, and they're doing what they always are doing, and that is worshiping our Lord Jesus Christ. So the first thing I want you to see about the kingdom is this. The kingdom is going to be marked by humble worship. The kingdom is going to be marked by humble worship. Notice particularly how they are worshiping in verse 16. It says the 24 elders who sat before God on their thrones, watch this, fell on their faces and worshiped God. One of the most powerful quotes I read this entire week in preparation came uh, from Paige Patterson who said these words, while there is no doubt that such actions as standing, lifting up holy hands to heaven, singing and praying, all have their place in Christian worship. The contemporary scene seems to be largely unaware of the most consistent response of worship in the Bible, which is fall on your face. And it is a, a, a statement of, it is a picture of absolute, complete awe, adoration, 100% complete consecration and dedication with a clear acknowledgement that the one you are falling down before is worthy of all attention and all affection due to his wonderful name. Look, I'm for raising my hands. I like to raise my hands. I like that you like to raise your hands. That's great. There is a celebration that happens on Sunday when we come together. And there is, it's not that one is more important than the other. That's not the point. They're both important. It's important that we raise our hands. It's important that we lift our voices. It's important that we clap our hands. It's 
it's important that we play our instruments. It's important that we bring our praise. But it is also important that we recognize who God is. And there are times when that recognition is going to bring us no further than our nose on the carpet before God. Now, in Revelation chapter 16 and 7, or chapter 11, verses 16 and 17, there are three recognitions of God that when, you, when they come into full circle, they really bring this humility about in our lives. So let me give you these three real quick. Number one, verse 17 says, he is almighty. You may have noticed this already that when there is praise in the book of Revelation, almighty is one of the most predominant names of God used in the book of Revelation. It simply means he is completely and absolutely all-powerful and an absolute authority over all things in this universe. Notice chapter uh, 11, verse 17, B part. It says not only is he almighty, but he is also eternal. But notice the way it's worded here. We give thanks, O Lord God Almighty, watch this, the one who is and who was and who is to come. You see this in chapter 1, verse 8. You see this in chapter 4 and verse 8, tying together God's great history with God's great future. It's one of the greatest blessings in all of the world to know that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He always has been, he is, and he always will be. That consistency, that certain knowledge brings us to a place of worship. And now, now, even in a more real and demonstrative way, everything that we've known about God up to this point is what he was and what he is, but now, in a very real sense, they are literally seen, fulfilled before their very eyes, he is to come. In fact, he is here. It's one of the things I love about college football this season uh, was watching Deion Sanders and the Colorado Buffaloes. Uh, say what you want to say, like what you want to like, don't like it, don't care, whatever. I like the whole thing. I, I was one of those guys that was tuned in to all the games. I loved watching it all. Of course, it didn't turn out as they wanted it to be. But I can say in a very real sense, if you are a college football fan, Mr. Dion kind of brought the hype back to college football. And their first game against Texas Christian University, uh, they beat uh, the team that played in the national championship the previous year. It was like the whole thing started in a flurry. And in one of the greatest post-game speeches uh, I have ever seen, Dion talked to his team. And one of those things that he said to them is this, we ain't coming, we're here. And everybody had this anticipation about What's it going to be like in Colorado, and how is Dion going to turn this program around? And then in the first game, they showed up big. They beat a team they weren't supposed to beat. And I love that statement. We're not coming. We're here. Everybody knows we're here now. All the doubters, all the haters. And that's what I feel like is being said here in Revelation chapter number 11. It's not that God is coming. He is here. It's not that God's going to take over. He is taking over. All, come on. All the doubters, all the haters, all the naysayers, all the skeptics, all the critics. He is here. And watch this. He is sovereign. Notice this. This is interesting. It's such a powerful statement at the end of verse 17 because you have taken your great power and reigned. The word take here in Greek is lambano, which, 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 which literally means to seize or grab a hold of. It's in a tense in Greek. It's in a perfect tense, which, which simply means it has a moment where it occurs and it will remain interminably into the future. Okay, so perfect tense in Greek simply means this. It's an action that has permanent, ongoing ramifications. 
Now, now that may sound really kind of odd to you because in one sense of the word, right, God has never abrogated his rulership of this world. How many of y'all agree Jesus is on the throne right here, right now, today, always has been, always will be? He, he is there. He is, and we've already learned that, right? John's already demonstrated that to us in chapter 4 and 5. And while he has never, watch this, while he has never abrogated his rulership of this world, he has in some sense, listen to this, he has in some sense allowed the powers of evil to temporarily have their day. I mean, three times in the New Testament, the devil is called the ruler of this world. In, in Ephesians 6, the great, the great uh, armor of God chapter, he, what does God say? He says, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against uh, rulers of the darkness of this world. Watch this. Against spiritual wickedness in high places. There is a sense in which right here and right now, for whatever his purposes desired, God has allowed rulers and darkness and spiritual evil, watch this, to, 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 to hold political offices, to hold national leadership, to rule social statuses, to, to influence cultural ideology, to affect every linguistic, every racial, every religious, and every cultural group on this earth. But I'm here to tell you one day, friend, there is coming a day where he is going to take hold of all of that, and the short leash that Satan is on is going to get irrevocably cut off from him. And he is going to take hold of this kingdom again. Amen. What do we do? We worship. We worship his name. We look with anticipation to the day. What Daniel 2 says, in those days... The kings of heaven will set up a kingdom which will never be destroyed. And that kingdom will not be left for another people. It will crush and put an end to all these kingdoms. Is anybody else out there right now looking forward to the day where every spiritual wickedness in high places, every governing body and authority that is under his dominion, that is destroying lives and tearing things apart and questioning each other. Aren't y'all looking forward to a day when every ounce and demon of hell is stomped under the foot of Jesus as he reigns forever and ever and ever. It's coming, friend. And we worship. But not only do we see the kingdom is marked by humble worship, we see, secondly, the kingdom is marked by his righteous reign. Notice as we transition to verse number 18, we look at verse 18, we're, we're seeing what his reign is going to do. Look at this, verse 18. The nations were angry and your wrath has come. At the time of the dead, that they should be judged and that you should reward your servants and the prophets and the saints and those who fear your name, small and great, should destroy those who destroy the earth. The reign of the Lord Jesus Christ will do two things. Listen very carefully. This is super important. Maybe the most important thing you hear in this entire sermon. There's two things that will happen when Jesus comes to reign on this earth. He will, first of all, bring his wrath, and he will, secondly, bring his reward. Now, I want you to look carefully again at verse number 18, first part, and I want you to listen to the word wrath. There are two different words in the Bible that, that describe wrath or anger. One is thumos, and thumos really more speaks of a person who is out of control. They've lost it, right? They, they, something happens and they respond in anger. That is one word, but that's not the word translated wrath here. 
The word that is translated wrath here is the New Testament word orge. And orge does not speak of someone who's unhinged. Orge speaks of someone who has a settled disposition, watch this, of ongoing and stored wrath against evil. Listen to this. Romans chapter 2 verse 5 says these words, but in accordance with the hardness and your impenitent heart, you are treasuring up for yourselves wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. Now what you're seeing here, according to verse number 8, is that the nations were angry. And that statement goes all the way back to Psalm 2, where it says, why do the heathen rage? And imagine a vain thing. Folks, nations and heathen have raged against God forever. Watch this. Nations and heathen will rage against God until they are stomped proverbially out. Not only have nations raged against God, listen very carefully, people have raged against God. And there are individuals who thumb their nose at God. There are individuals who do not believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. There are individuals who do everything to turn away from, back out on, deny the faith. And they will do that. And watch this. You say, well, preacher, I got good news for you. You're always talking all this business about, like, like, like we're going to get judged by God. And you say, well, look at me. I mean, I've done what I want to do. And I, I've lived the way I wanted to live. You know, Ecclesiastes speaks to that when it says, men are more prone to sin when the wheels of of judgment churn slow. Meaning, I do this, no trouble, no problem, no big deal, and I keep churning into evil. Well, look at that. I've lived a whole year thumbing my nose at God, nothing happened, no big deal. I'm just going to keep churning into evil. What you don't realize is what you are doing every time you thumb your nose at God. You are literally tossing in a grape into a bin that one day God is going to step onto and that grape is going to be trodden out and that juice is literally going to be poured out as judgment on the nations. Look, I had a friend years ago that said this statement. It stuck with me. I think it's good. You cannot sin and win. Folks, listen, you can hide behind your good works. You can hide behind church attendance. You can hide behind being a faithful leader, husband, whatever you want to be. But I'm telling you right now, there is nothing that has gotten past the eyes of God. God knows everything. God has seen everything. God knows where you are. God knows the rejection. God knows where your heart is. And you say, man, well, I just can't see it. I'm going to see it now. That's not the way God works. Listen, God's too good to stomp you out like you deserve and like I deserve. I've said this before many times. God knows everything there is to know about me. I cannot believe he still loves me. I can't believe he hasn't wiped me out and made me a grease spot on a parking lot somewhere. But why is God not judged yet? He's given you opportunity. He loves you too much to wipe you out yet. But my friend, one day they'll cross an invisible line. And one day the nations and individuals who have turned against God will finally and ultimately experience his wrath. You say, I cannot believe this church and this preacher talks about the wrath of God. Friend, if there was no such thing as the wrath of God, you would not want to live on this earth without a God that ultimately settled scores. If you wanted to live in a world where God just let things go, let things be, let people do whatever they want to do with no consequences whatsoever, that is not the kind of world you want to live in. That is not the kind of God that is described in the Bible. His wrath means he is love. His wrath means he is perfect. His wrath means that he will bring all things to their final and ultimate. All those questions you got, all those wonders you got about all the things that have happened that are wrong in this world, they're going to be corrected one day. 
My friend, I want to say this to you as kindly as I can. If you are a person here without the Lord Jesus Christ, I am telling you as best and as kind as I can, if you do not know him and you have not accepted him, you are currently and will be ultimately the object of God's divine wrath. So believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Whosoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. For God so loved the world that gave his only begotten son, whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That's an offer. It's a promise. It's a deal. It's the best deal you've ever heard of. The good news, the gospel, the bad news is we are judged, we are condemned. Our sin is offensive to God. That's the bad news. And the worst news is we'll be judged for it one day. The good news is I can settle that out of court because Jesus died for me, Jesus was buried, and Jesus rose again, and I couldn't get to heaven if I wanted to, but by trusting in him... I get to go on his merits and in his name. So there's wrath that comes, but there's also reward that comes. And notice at the end of verse number 18, it says this. It says, and your servants, and that you should reward your servants and the prophets and the saints. And those who fear your name shall uh, small and great and should destroy those who destroy the earth. This is a promise that God's people are under his care, ultimately under his reward system. Folks, there are rewards in this Christian life. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 says it like this in verse 8. Now he who plants and he who waters are one, and each one will receive the reward of his own labor. I mean, later in the book, Revelation 22 verse 12. Behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me. Colossians 3, 23, and whatever you do, do do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 8, finally, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day. These are, this, look, this is not a side issue in the Bible. There's multiple promises of reward in the Bible for multiple things. For faithfully waiting for his return, for faithfully serving the church, for faithfully suffering and enduring difficulty, for faithfully witnessing and sharing your faith. There's rewards. There's rewards. You say, I'm not in it for rewards. Well, help yourself, friend. Do whatever you want to do. But I'm here to tell you this. I want to live my life for Jesus Christ, and I'm just fine and dandy if he gives rewards to his servants. You say, what are we going to do with those rewards? Well, at the end of the book, we're going to find out that we're going to throw those crowns at his feet and worship him because of him and through him and to him are all things so he's going to bring wrath and he's going to bring rewards let me give you a final thing too the kingdom is going to be marked by eternal celebration now watch this is great look look at this verse 19 then the temple of god was opened in heaven and the ark of his covenant was seen in his temple and there were Lightnings, noises, thunderings, an earthquake, and great hail. This is great. The scene opens up in heaven. It's a worship scene. Now we look into what is going on, and it says here, then the temple of God, well, I want you to circle these two words, and somebody might have a shouting fit before you get home, was opened. The temple was open. When I talk about the kingdom's going to be marked by eternal celebration, evidently up in the kingdom, there's a temple there. And specifically, watch this. I mean, there, look, you can go study the temple if you really want to. Go look at it in the book of Exodus. It's quite, quite, a, 
quite a discussion out there. There's quite a few things going on there. But I think this is interesting. In the temple that is in this scenario, there's one piece of furniture that's mentioned that is open inside the temple, and it's the Ark of the Covenant. And you say, what in the world was the Ark of the Covenant? The Ark of the Covenant was a ark, uh, a box, if you will. Inside of it, it had a, it had a copy of the Ten Commandments. It had, it had Aaron's uh, budded rod. It had some manna from the experience in the wilderness, talking about God's provision, talking about God's promises and talking about God's miraculous protection of God's people. It was right. And then, and then, and, and so inside of that ark, which manifests the presence of God over top of that ark, okay, was a covering guarded by two angels. I actually showed you a picture of it last week. That ark was situated in the Holy of Holies. That ark could only be accessed one time a year by one person, the high priest. But now in heaven, the door is open, the ark is accessible, and we have a visual picture in the temple in heaven of everything that Jesus Christ did for us through his salvation. Folks, I want to tell you the opportunity for communion with God is real. That is why the door is open. The ark that is in there symbolizes communion with God and, and our Lord Jesus because what was separated from all men of all time was torn in the veil of the curtain when Jesus died on the cross. And the promise is this, taken from Hebrews chapter number 9, and that is this, it was necessary then for the copies of heavenly things to be purified with these sacrifices. And there's so many people that misinterpret and misunderstand what the Old Testament is for. Listen, the Old Testament and its principles and its temple and its laws were to demonstrate to us that somebody else is going to fulfill those on our behalf. Somebody else is going to actualize that temple and that tabernacle. Come on. Somebody else is going to fulfill that sacrifice and it all points to Jesus. And maybe that's the best way for me to end this message today. What, are you probably shocked that I'm going to say this? It just all points to Jesus. All of it. And so what will we do? We will celebrate Jesus for all of eternity as we stand in his presence with a door open to heaven and a door open to the temple for all to worship for all of eternity. And I think my final word to you this morning would be this. I hope and trust that you will be with me there. I know I'm going. You say, well, you're, you're a pastor. Hello, you guys got that? No, 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 no. I'm not going because I'm a pastor. I'm going because I'm a believer. There's no, look, there's no special entrance here. There's no side door. There's no service elevator in heaven. There's one door, one welcome mat for everybody. We all come the same way. And I'm here to tell you, friend, you're going to want to be there in that kingdom. You're going to want to be there in heaven. You're going to want to be there for all of eternity. And the key and the difference is this. Have you or will you make your preparations for him today? Let's pray if we could. Our worship team is going to come. We're going to sing a closing hymn of worship, which is fitting for what we've heard today. But I close every service here. I will always close every service here as long as I have strength and the opportunity to give you an opportunity to accept Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior.
If you have never trusted him, if you do not know the certainty with which this passage speaks, I'm talking about the certainty of the kingdom, the certainty of us being there with him. Do you have that certainty? There's a lot of people that don't. There's a lot of church people that don't. I'm asking you, do you have the certain assurance that heaven is your home, that Jesus is your Savior, and you've accepted him as Lord? If not, today I'm going to invite you to call upon the name of the Lord, to believe on Jesus Christ as the only Savior of the world. He is God. He died on the cross. He rose again from the dead. And he is the only way a person can get to heaven. And he simply asks you to do this. Call on his name. Open up your heart like the front door of your house and welcome Jesus into your life. You can do that right here. You can do that right now. You can do it in your seat. You can do it with one of our prayer team leaders at the end of this service in the back. You, you just, but whatever you do, call on his name. I'm going to give you the opportunity right now. You can right there in your seat, just pray something like this. It doesn't have to be exactly. It has to be between you and God, but pray something like this. Dear Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. Just go ahead and get that first word out. Dear Jesus, I know I am a sinner. I cannot save myself. Pray it right there where you are. I cannot save myself, but I believe in Jesus Christ. I believe he died. I believe he was buried, and I believe he rose again. Today, I accept him as my only Lord and Savior. Thank you for loving me. Help me to not be ashamed of you. Now, right now, before we close the service with a worship song, is there anybody in this church right here, right now, sitting here that say, Preacher, I want you to know, I just prayed that prayer. I meant it, and I'm glad that I did. I just asked Jesus to be my Savior just now. And preacher, I just want you to know, I'm glad I made that decision, and, I, and I'm ready to follow Jesus with my life. How many of you out there would say that? Just lift your hand up right now. Say, I just prayed that prayer a minute. I'm so glad that I did, and I'm thankful to be following Jesus now. Just lift your hand. Just lower it right back down. We're going to pray and sing in just a moment. In fact, let's do that. Go ahead. Stand to your feet. And uh, we're going to pray. When we get done praying, we're going to sing this worship song. Enjoying what's happening in heaven right now. And then we'll be on our way to continue this day. Lord, we love you. Thank you for allowing us to be here to pause this Lord's Day. And hear from your word and be here in our place to listen to you. And to follow you. And to rejoice and celebrate all that you've done and all you're going to do. Lord, bless our church. Bless our connection groups this week as we study your word together. Bless our children's ministry and our youth ministry on Wednesday night, Lord. Uh, teach them your word and help them to become disciples of you. And Lord, receive our worship now as our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's sing together. Mm -hmm.